Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Thursday, August 25th, 2022. This is Shannon, and tonight I am here with Kristen and Stacy. We are talking about romance series featuring families. Because I think romance does this better than any other genre, where you can like fall into a series yeah. and meet like all the members of a family and get to see them all, like find their own happiness. Um, I just, I, I love that element of, of romance. I don't so, think I've read another genre that does family like that. Like, no, I think family in general, I think there are genres that like, I'm thinking of like some urban fantasy, for example, Yeah, me too. where mm-hmm. a family plays like a role in the whole series. Um, like I'm thinking of, um, Ilona Andrews' Hidden Legacy, mm-hmm. for example. Yep. Uh, I but I think in terms of like what romance does, where like each book can focus on a different, you know, a different family member. Family I think yeah. that is kind of a specific um, thing to romance. Almost like a trope, almost, the way that it's done. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, I, I don't know of an urban fantasy series that does it that way. Like, each member of the family has their own book like I've seen urban fantasies and other series you know about a family as a whole right but not individual members um Larissa Ione her Mm -hmm. um her demon series does that Mm -hmm. um but I would say that the only and then that like the kind of post-apocalyptic Stacey that you were thinking about using the um Laura the, uh, yeah the, the four horsemen kind of does it yes too. but I call those oh. more paranormal romance than anything else yeah you know? they kind of are I think they have in some ways at least the Larissa Ione can have like some of that like urban fantasy feel mm-hmm. um but yeah like they kind of walk that that line between uh paranormal romance and urban fantasy sorry didn't mean to that's okay that. So I think we're going to get started with the housekeeping information. Then Stacy can start us off, followed by me, and then Kristen. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So the moment that Shannon kind of brought up the idea of talking about families and romance, I knew what one of my series would have to be. 
And that's the Quinn brothers by Nora Roberts. Yeah. This series really um, was sort of like uh, one of my touchstones of romance back in the day. Um, It's still a comfort read. I probably read it once every year or two because I love it so much. And it's just, it's very, it's just so special to me. And I'm going to talk today about the first book in the series. It's called Sea Swept. Again, it's by Nora Roberts. And it's, oh gosh, they call it either the Quinn Brothers, the Chesapeake Bay Saga. Like, I mean, there's a couple different things, but I always call it the Quinn Brothers. Yeah, it is the Quinn Brothers always in my head. Yeah. So this book is about Cam. And Cameron Quinn is sort of living the high life. He is um, racing boats in Europe. And he's sort of like this very fancy uh, sort of like playboy type dude kind of rough kind of sexy and just living the life of a single rich dude who is sort of on top of his game but everything changes when cam gets a call from home and that's saint christopher in maryland and um it's uh he finds out that his his father ray quinn is in the hospital and is not doing well. So uh, right away, he um, takes off for the airport. He's in Monte Carlo, I believe. And it takes him a while to get home. And when he does, his other two brothers, Ethan and Philip, are at his father's bedside in the hospital. And they are joined by a 10-year-old named Seth. And now what we learn is that Cameron, Ethan, and Philip were all boys who um, did not have good early lives and were all sort of um, mistreated children who were entering the foster system and then were fostered and later adopted by Ray and his wife, Stella Quinn. So now, you know, Cam's back home and um, Ray's like last wish as he's laying in his hospital bed, he's, he's very, he's really not doing well. He was in a single car accident. He's begging them to please, please take care of the youngest Quinn Foster. And his name is Seth. He's 10, like I said. And the three guys are like, what the hell? They all have their lives. Like, they don't want to do this. But Ray and Stella, who had passed away several years ago, were such a driving force for them. They decide that what they're going to do is figure out a system as these three bachelors, how they're going to take care of Seth in the family home in the town of St. Christopher, St. Chris. So that's kind of the setup for the men. And then we have Anna Spinelli, which I think is one of the greatest names in all of romance. I don't know why. I just (laughs) think it's so classy and so fabulous. And she's this Anna Spinelli. And she's like this very fiery, passionate Italian social worker. And she's been sent to do a home visit because, you know, obviously with, with Ray Quinn's death, She needs to make sure that Seth is still in a good environment and that his needs are being met. Well, right away, she feels and Cam feels this very instant chemistry, but there's this push-pull because, you know, Anna could be there to kind of undo everything that Ray has done for Seth. And also, all three boys, all three men have like a, a suspicious sort of icky feeling about social workers because they weren't always the greatest in their early lives. Mm -hmm. So Anna's kind of poking around and trying to figure out the lay of the land. And Seth is being all 10 year old, you know, too cool for school, nonchalant, 
cussing all the time, not really acting like he cares about much of anything. And these three guys are trying to figure out how to form a family when they feel like their foundation has been completely rocked to the core with the death of Ray, who was their one surviving parent, who was such a a force in all of their lives. Mm -hmm. And that's all I'm going to say about this because, oh my God, if you have not read the Quinn Brothers saga, you must. There's yeah. Sea Swept, there's Rising Tides, Inner Harbor, and then she wrote a fourth book a few years later called Chesapeake Blue, which is about a grown-up Seth Quinn. All four books are lovely. There's um, a mystery that kind of goes throughout the trilogy about why Ray died, like what happened on yeah. the road, what caused this accident. And then we also have to contend with Seth's very icky mother, very terrible mother who is trying to um, extort money from the Quins, but also has them wondering, you know, who is Seth actually to Ray Quinn? And is it possible that Ray wasn't quite the upstanding man that all of them saw him as for so many years? Ah. It's such a lovely series. I cannot begin to say like how lovely it is. This again is Sea Swept by Nora Roberts and it's the Quinn Brothers book one. All right, so I'm going to follow Stacy's lead and also talk about a series that was written in the 90s because, you know, romances of our youth, like we need them. We do. We do. So this is the Donovan series by Elizabeth Lowell. And it makes me really happy to get to talk about Elizabeth Lowell on the podcast because I really, really loved her back in the day, both her historicals and her more contemporary Um, romantic suspense. I think she just has written so many amazing things. And she's not someone that a lot of people think about when we think about the, you know, the romances that we grew up reading, that she doesn't get a lot of the attention that some of the like old, you know, kind of favorites do. So the first book in the series is Amber Beach. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) And the setup for this is the Donovan family is like renowned in the world of jewel trading. And so they have this really booming business. Now they have several children. Two of them are twins and they are Honor and Faith. Yeah. Um, Honor is our heroine in the first book. And she has pretty effectively been shut out of the business by her family. And there are reasons for this that you don't fully understand as you know, the book gets started, but become clear as things go on. But when her brother Kyle goes missing while he is on a job, and not only does he go missing, but a huge amount of amber that is worth a ton of money also goes missing. Honor is kind of drawn in to this search to find her brother, you know, return the, this amber to, you know, where it needs to be and kind of prove to the world that her brother did not just like abscond with this like fortune in, in, in amber. So she can't do this on her own. And so she joins forces with a guy named Jake, who is a fishing guide. And Honor wants him to take her into the San Juan Islands because she has reason to think that that might be where Kyle is. And so they you know, start to kind of make this trip. And 
they're not really sure how much they can trust each other. Um, Kyle, you know, the fact that he's missing and maybe he like took this amber and like what's, you know, Jake is not really sure that this is something that he wants to be involved in. And Honor kind of feels like Jake is sort of one step away from like calling the whole thing off and sort of deciding, you know, no, like this guy is a thief. I don't want to help find him. And so it feels kind of precarious. Their, their alliance, you know, is not as solid as either would sort of want it to be as they're, they're going forward. Um, the series goes on and you get to see the right, you know, some of the other um, members of the Donovan family, all these books have jewels like in the title. Um, so we have like Pearl Cove, oh. there's Midnight in Ruby Bayou, there's Jade Island. Um, this is just a really cool series that focuses on like gems and the ways in which, you know, people use gems to make their lives better, but also to do some very evil, evil things. Um, so I was super excited to get to talk about this. The, the Donovans are not um, a series I think about all the time, but it was very cool to kind of go back and, and revisit this and be like, oh my gosh, like I love these, you know, so much back in the day. I think there are, you know, they are a little dated in some ways, but if you're looking for a good, like fast paced romantic suspense and you want to kind of fall into that family vibe, um, I, I think you could do far, far worse than this. So this is Amber Beach. It's the first book in the Donovan series, and it's by Elizabeth Lowell. So my first uh, book tonight is about the Arrowwood Brothers. And the first book is called Come Back for Me. And this is by Corinne Michaels. And... I have seen the name Corinne Michaels over time, but just never really picked up her stuff. Um, and then I, I started getting ads for her books on Facebook because sometimes Facebook gets it right. And it gave me a blurb for one of her books and I was hooked. And so I went and tracked them all down. And she has several different series that involve families, but the Arrowwood Brothers is the one that I picked up first. And it has been so epically amazing. So Come Back For Me is the first book in this series. There are four books in this series. Um, the first one focuses on Connor Arrowwood. And when he was 18, he enlisted in the military to mostly to get away from his very abusive father. Um, his father after his mother died, became a very abusive drunk. And all four of his boys bore the brunt of this, but I believe Connor was the youngest 
and so you know sometimes you know being the last one left at home you know he he got a lot more of it than than his older brothers did and and that just made pretty much the farm hell on earth for him and so when he left for the military he vowed he would never go back to Pennsylvania ever um the name of this little town is Sugarloaf I love that (laughs) Um, so the, this takes place in Sugarloaf, Pennsylvania. Um, but the night before he leaves for the military, he meets this girl at a bar. And they both agree to one night, no strings attached. Um, you know, just passionate fun. And they do, and he goes off to the military, and she goes back to her life, and he never expects to see her ever again. But then, when we start this book, Connor is uh, has been injured in the military, and he is being released. He's coming back from a deployment, and he's being released from the military due to his injury and he finds out that his father has passed away and his father in his will has said that um, each of his boys has to come back to the ranch for a period of six months Now, whether that is all four of them at one time for six months or if they want to split it up between them, each is there for six months, he doesn't care. But each boy has to spend six months on the farm. And then they can sell it. They can do whatever they want to with it. But not until that agreement is fulfilled. So none of these boys, but especially Connor, wants to have anything to do with that farm. There's so many horrible memories there, and they just want to sell it and be done, but they can't. And so they decide that they will split up the time and each one of them will do six months on the farm. And who do you think draws the short straw? Ooh. Good old Connor. He gets to go first. So, you know, he's all grumble, grumble, grizzly bear about it. But he, he's like, well, I got to do it. Got to get it done. Might as well start now. So he goes. And one day he's, he's walking around out on the farm getting the lay of the land seeing what's there what what needs to be done and he hears something up in a tree where an old tree house is still there or like a platform that the boys used to use as a kind of a getaway and he climbs up and he finds this little girl and she's hurt her arm And 
so he he helps her down and he finds out that she's from next door the next farm over and so he walks her back home and when he walks up to the house with this little girl she's about seven or eight years old i believe he sees the girl he thought he'd never see again And it punches him right in the gut because he never stopped thinking about her. She very much made an impression on him and he's never stopped thinking about her. And so this is their story. Um... It's, it's quite the epic love story. I, I do want to say there is some domestic violence in this book. Um, just as a content warning, we do see a scene that gets a little rough, but it, it, it's not, um, it doesn't last long. But this was such an epic beginning to this family and each man has his own demons to fight because each handled their abusive father in different ways and the oldest brother definitely holds the most regret and torture over it because he could not protect the youngers the the younger ones you know he he did what he could, but eventually when he left, you know, there, there wasn't much more he could do. But this is such a beautiful series. Uh, Come Back for Me is a wonderful love story, as are all of them. And you really, really must pick this up. If you love tortured heroes. Yes, I do. Stacy, <laughs> no, I, I need you to read this. And I, and I know you don't like you don't like the whole famous people thing, but and two no, of I these don't. brothers are pretty famous, but I will say that it's done well. These are not arrogant asshole famous people. Um they're they're very family oriented, they're very sweet, squishy guys. Um, and they're they're very involved in helping the community when they come back to um to sugarloaf for their you know their stint so definitely pick up this series it is the arrowwood brothers by corinne michaels and the first book is come back for me so every once in a while you sort of like unintentionally stumble upon a series and this is what happened with my second book i saw it couple years ago when it came out on audible and I thought, Oh, this looks, you know, I could, this might like, you know, be good. And I put it on my wish list, and then I didn't think about it until the second one came out on audible and I saw it and I'm like, Oh, this might be good. That's right. I have the first one on my wish list. So I was trying to find sort of like, um, you know, a bunch of different types of families to read about. And so I just kind of accidentally remembered that the series looked interesting and it was about family. So I thought I'll try the first one. Like, you know, I, I don't, you know, it's like an unknown author to me and I, I don't know, but I'm going to try it. So I'm here to talk to you tonight about the O'Brien tales 
And the first one is called Raven of the Sea, and it's by Stacey Reynolds. And this book was such an unexpected delight, surprise. It was charming. It was lovely. It was family and community, and I could not get enough. And it's super, super long, which is so great. So this, again, is Raven of the Sea. It's the first book, and it's about Branna O'Mara. And Branna is not doing very well. Um, her father passed away when she was 16 um, in Iraq, and she and her mother kind of got through life for the next six years. But when Branna was 23, her mother passed away from cancer. And both, um, both parents were only children, and the grandparents had passed away. So it sort of left Branna completely on her own in a world that she felt a little ill-equipped to deal with and just she was a very lonely soul and Branna uh, works in real estate and so she just decides one day that you know maybe instead of staying in the U.S. she needs to go and find you know a home in Ireland because that's where her her parents um, they were both first generation from Ireland and her father used to sing her all the songs and tell her all the stories of his Irish roots and so she gets this email. It looks like spam, but it's, you know, it's from a real estate agent in County Clare in this small town called, I think it's called Dolan or Doolin maybe. And she is like, oh my God, this cottage, like I have to have this cottage. I have to. And so she's communicating with the real estate agent, but then she's also communicating with the elderly gentleman who owns the cottage. And she decides that once her offer is accepted, she's going to fly off to Ireland and just start this whole new life. And maybe while she's here, she'll heal from her pain and she'll kind of figure out who she is and how to move forward as an adult with nobody else that's super close to her besides one good friend in the whole wide world. Well, she lands in Ireland and she goes to this town and she goes in this pub and she's just like charmed by everything. And she just knows that she's going to go and meet the owner of this house and the real estate agent and everything's going to be glorious. And she's going to move in that day. She's just so excited. And in the, in the pub, she meets a man named Michael O'Brien and Michael O'Brien finds out that she is here to move into the Kelly cottage. And Michael O'Brien is quite, quite surprised by this for you see, he also has made an offer that the real estate agent has just accepted and he's already actually moved like his bed and some other things into the, into the oh, Kelly cottage. Oh no. Right. <laughs> and so right away, he's like, who is this little like yank who thinks she's going to come over here and take my cottage, this little entitled, you know, mommy and daddy bought her this house and she's going to come over here and take over. So, you know, she, she leaves the pub, not really sure why, like all of a sudden, Michael O'Brien kind of like changed his tune and stopped being quite so charming toward her. And she goes to the realtor's office where she is met by Mr. Ned Kelly and his daughter. And she's also met by the real estate agent who's doing a lot of hand wringing. And if he happened, he'd be <laughs> doing some horrified pearl clutching because, you know, there's a big mistake, Miss O'Mara. Yeah, there is. And this cottage doesn't actually belong to you. There's two offers. Well, Branna, Branna is quite upset by this because, you know, 
she's like left her life in the States. She doesn't, she can't go back home. Like she's rented out all of her rental properties in the U S she like packed up her shit. She like, you know, like got her passport. She's like living in Ireland. Like she's not going home. And like, she used all of her money, you know, to make this dream come true. But don't worry, everyone, because Mr. Kelly has this great idea, the owner of the home. He thinks that what should actually happen. I know it's not. But in this book, it might be because he decides that it's a two bedroom cottage. So until they can get this all sorted out, Michael and Branna, who are fighting like cats and dogs with each other because they both think they deserve the cottage, they can both live there for 90 days while he decides which offer is like more valid. (laughs) And now Michael is part of the giant O'Brien clan who all live in this town. Um, there's, there's many of them. It's a good Catholic family. And, you know, he has a twin sister. He has a few other brothers. And he has loving parents who all have his back. He has cousins who support him. And so then there's Brana. There's Brana who has like no one. She is like on her own. And she's feeling very lost in this new culture with this man who clearly hates her as much as she hates him because regardless of the fact that he's like the small town, like hometown hero, it's her cottage. She got it fair and square from the owner and she is not backing down friends. And let me tell you, some of her one-liners are freaking hysterical. Like the banter between Michael and Branna is just the greatest. I love good banter. I love good banter. So (laughs) as this book, beautifully and slowly kind of unfurls. Branna begins to integrate into the town. It's a very musical town. Michael's entire family is incredibly musical. They play together at the pub most evenings. And she becomes sort of enmeshed into the fabric of this community. And she and Michael both kind of begin to learn more about each other and learn that they're, you know, they're like, impressions of each other may not be accurate. This is a slow burn romance. It's enemies to lovers. It's about just the loveliest family in the history of my life. Um, There are eight books in this series that um, all follow um, people in the O'Brien family. And it's seriously, it's like, I was telling Shannon today about a different book. It feels like you're drinking like a really nice cup of chai. It's like a hug in book form. And that's basically Mm. how I feel about Raven of the Sea. It's just this lovely book about this woman sort of infiltrating this town with her light and her optimism and this town embracing her and welcoming her into its fold. And just how, you know, sometimes you might have to travel far, but you might discover the family you didn't know you were missing. This book is lovely. It's called The Raven of the Sea. It's O'Brien Tales, book one. And the author is Stacey Reynolds. I've already moved on to the second book, which is A Lantern in the Dark. And it's just, the writing is lovely. You just, you just feel like, I don't know, like I wish I could go to an Irish pub and hear people sing like this and play music together. And like the whole town just, I don't know. It's, it's all the cool things about small town, but in Ireland. <laughs> so it makes it even better. All right. So my next book uh, comes to the podcast courtesy of Sarah. She actually read this author before any of us. Um, I had seen her, and I'm pretty sure Stacy had seen her as well, yep. recommended um, in our beloved Facebook romance group, um, Old School Romance Book Club. 
But Sarah was the first one to take the plunge and read this author. (laughs) Now, I have to tell you that I have not and most likely will not read the first book. I read a little bit of it and it really annoyed me. So I stopped. But the second book and every book after it is an utter delight. So I'm going to talk about Always Only You, Bergman Brothers, book two by Chloe Lease. I will tell you though, that the first book is called Only When It's Us. Um, And Sarah really liked it. I didn't, Um, at least the part of it that I read. But Always Only You, is a grumpy sunshine reverse trope where the heroine is the grumpy one and the hero is sunshiny. Um, This is a sports romance and generally speaking, I am not a fan of sports in any way, shape or form. And (laughs) so I was really surprised that I fell into this as easily as I did. Our heroine is Frankie. She is a staff member on this hockey team. And Frankie has decided that she's done trying to impress people. She's got a lot going on. She has a physical disability. Um, She walks with a cane. She also has recently been diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum. And she's just done trying to change who she is to make other people happy. So she's doing her work. She's very motivated. Um, She wants to at some point leave this particular team that she's working for and move on. But until then, she's throwing herself wholeheartedly into her work. And she's doing her best to ignore all the people that drive her crazy. And I I feel this like so hard because the majority (laughs) of the human race drives me crazy. um, Oh, agreed on a pretty regular basis. So, but the person who drives Frankie the craziest is Ren. And Ren is this like happy-go-lucky, sunshiny, super handsome guy. He's very talented. Um, You know, he's kind of like the the golden boy of the team. And Frankie just like he gets under her skin in a major way. Now, part of this is because she's really attracted to him. And she knows from past experience that, you know, trying to go after a guy like him is just no, no good. But what she doesn't realize is that Ren is also very attracted to Frankie. And he is determined to sort of break down her walls and sort of, you know, get her to admit that he's not so bad and that maybe they can start something together. We have a little bit of like a forbidden romance trope going on here because, you know, he is like a hockey player on the team and she's a staff member. So they're not really supposed to be becoming involved with each other. But Ren knows that this isn't going to be Frankie's job forever. Like eventually she's going to go on to something bigger and better. And he just hopes that when she does that, he is, you know, going to be like the thing that kind of comes with her. Um, The Bergmans are this big family. There are five brothers and two sisters. Um, There's a lot of complexity to their relationships, but there's also just a a lot of love and a lot of support. Um, 
I have read, there are five books altogether so far. The other two are coming, I think in 2023. And this makes me very happy. Um, I've read three out of the five so far. I am on hold for the fifth one at my public library. And every one that I've read has just been so emotional, very deep in a way that like you sometimes don't expect if you look at the synopses. Um, she tackles just a ton of issues that I think a lot of people, you know, feel like aren't, aren't sexy or glamorous. And I love that she gives them their due on the page and writes about people who are dealing with real things and that life isn't always like fun and beautiful and sunny. If you've not read Chloe Lee, I highly, highly recommend her, whether you choose to start with the first book, <laughs> um, which, you know, as I said, I just could not do. But that one is only when it's us. Um, but my starting point was Always Only You, Bergman Brothers, book two by Chloe Lee. So my second series for tonight is The Bailey Brothers by Claire Kingsley. Yay! Um, yes. So I am going to talk about this series as a whole. However, the first book is called Protecting You. I think technically it is a novella. Yes. However, it to me is pretty important to read book. Uh, if to, to start with that one, because... I agree. Book, book two is is going to throw you a little bit if you don't. Um, so this, the Bailey brothers are <laughs> truly an epic family of is this the one with jokesters. The yes. Grand Brooke is always talking about this, but like <laughs> the grandmother's always talking about her peckers. And now she tells Hybe that since they have a bunch of chickens that they can talk about their peckers too. Yep. But yep. Hybe says no. <laughs> <laughs> Party pooper. So um, these brothers are so amazing. They're funny. They're pranksters. They are just like big children, honestly. Um, they're all, I believe they're all volunteer firefighters, right? I think, I think they all are involved with the firehouse at some point and to some degree. Um, and this, the town is Tillicum, which is not a real place, people. Because apparently so many people have have <laughs> messaged Claire and said, oh, I've been to Tillicum. And she's like, uh, no, you no, haven't. I don't think you have. It's, it's not there. But it, it does feel like a place that you could just drive to and enjoy. Um, but this is everything you, you want in a small town. Um, so... You have Asher, Evan, Gavin, Logan, and Levi. Logan and Levi are twins. 
I was just going to ask you if that was true because of the like two L's. Yes. Logan and Levi are twins. And um, I, I, I can't. I've tried to choose which was my favorite twin and I just can't do it. So. Well, Stacy um, would say that's probably okay. I, I think so because at. I mean, yeah. At, at every point. All of these guys have been my favorite. So in Tilikum, um, there's two families, and they've been in a feud for generations. And the Bailey brothers, in my opinion, come up with the most epic pranks um, to pull on the other family. And they go back and forth. Typically, nobody gets hurt. It's not malicious. Um, it, it's just, you know, good hearty fun seeing who can pull the best prank. And that's throughout every single book. And it's just amazing to watch these two families go back and forth. It's also so cool to see each Bailey brother, their personalities unfold and and to see their love interest come to light and to see how hard they love. But these boys have had, while they had a good childhood and they were loved and cared for, they lost their parents at a very young age and they were raised by their grandparents. Um, and Gran is, is wonderful. Um, I wish I had her as a grandmother. She's funny. She's honest. She always has the right thing to say. And she gives everybody an animal name. Yeah. Each one of her boys has an animal name. And each one of their love interests get an animal name. And typically they, they coincide, like they, they kind of match their partner um, in names. You know, it's two animals that you could see being friends, at least in my opinion. They're, they're personality-wise, I guess. And so I just love Gran and, you know, you got to love her peckers. So <laughs> um, it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful series all the way around. Um, Evan, I think overall was probably one of my top favorites in this group. He's very close to the top because he is the gruffest of them all. He is the kind of the, the reserved kind of quiet and grumpy guy, but you see him become a squishy teddy bear went, you know, at the right times. And his love story is really amazing. I agree. And he has a dog named Sasquatch, a German shepherd. So you got to love him for that. Right. Um, so I just feel like the Bailey brothers has, is one of those families that you can really see yourself being a part of. They're fun loving they not only pull pranks on the other family in this town, but they 
they play jokes on each other and you know they they go back and forth the banter's amazing but when the going gets tough they're always there for one another even grumpy old evan <laughs> on his motorcycle um it's just it's so beautiful the way this family comes together and the hardships that each one of them may endure at any given time and they just family is forever and that's very obvious with the Bailey brothers I want to say that I don't think this was my first family series but it was the first one I had read in a really long time and I believe it was Stacy that told me I had to go read it probably to to the Bailey brothers and I fell head over heels for every single one of them um I want to say that Gavin is probably he's the youngest and he is probably the craziest of them all he's definitely the biggest risk taker but he's so funny and just I I cannot say enough good things about the Baileys so start with protecting you Bailey Brothers book one try saying that 10 times fast (laughs) by Claire Kingsley and then keep going because they're finally all out and because we had to wait quite a bit for uh the final book So my third book of the evening, um, I may have mentioned once or twice or 50 times that I'm a huge fan (laughs) of the work of Naima Simone. And I think she's, yes, yes. And she's a very talented author. And I was just saying about Claire Kingsley, how she writes these books that have a lot of heart and soul. And I I think the same is true for Naima Simone. So tonight I'm going to talk about the first book in the Rosebend series. It's called Road to Rosebend, number one, by Naima Simone. Oh my God. I'm going to say that one more time. It's kind of a tongue twister for some reason tonight. So I'm going to talk about the first book in the series. It's called Road to Rosebend, Rosebend number one, again by Naima Simone. And this series follows the Denison family. And they are a very, very interesting family. Um, they, they own the inn in a small t- in Rosebend in the Berkshires. And um, The thing that's interesting about this family is it's um, a family that has some biological children and some adopted children. And everyone has the name of a musician in some way, shape or form. Yeah, this. Yeah, I love it. And this book focuses on Coltrane Denison, Cole. And Cole is the new mayor of Rosebend. And Cole's struggling a little bit. He, you know, he's a, he's a man of color and he's trying to um, earn the respect of a town where, you know, middle-aged white men have held sway for a long time. So some are very happy with the fact that he is now the mayor and some are kind of fighting against the change. And Cole is also struggling because he has lost his wife and child. And, you know, life has felt pretty gray for a very long time. 
And he sort of felt like, you know, running for mayor would give him something to do besides, you know, miss his wife and his child. And Sydney Collins has decided after being away from Rosebend for many years that she's going to come home because Sydney Collins is newly divorced and she's pregnant. Whoopsies. She and her ex-husband had one little whoopsies like after the divorce. And um, so now she's pregnant. And even though she left Rosebend um, as a wild child and she left with a lot of sort of unresolved feelings about her family after the death of her sister. She wants to raise her child in the loving and supportive community where she grew up. So basically from moment one of Sydney returning to town, she, you know, is, is back within the orbit of Cole Dennison. And even though, and Cole's sister um, is, is her best childhood friend. And so, you know, situations keep happening that throw Cole and Sydney together. And even though Cole is sort of attracted to her, the fact that she is pregnant is like a hard no. He doesn't want anything to do with children, her child, babies. He's sort of done. His heart is like ice, but yet she's gorgeous. And he sort of wants a little of that, but yet he doesn't want to be around her baby. And so like, it's this very conflicted way that he has of dealing with Sydney. So Sydney kind of gets back into the Coltrane family. She's, you know, kind of reconnecting with her best friend and Cole's parents are very lovely and loving people who kind of embrace her back into the family and back into the town. But while all of this is happening, Sydney's family is another story and reading about Sydney and her interactions with her family, it was actually quite painful. Um, It really was. It's a, it's a family who's dealing with a lot of grief and heartache and they don't really know how to kind of get past that to interact with each other. And, you know, it's sort of taken out on Sydney and she has to deal with the backlash of being the daughter who lived. And there's a lot of pain that has to happen before any healing can begin. It's a lovely story. It's about a small town. It's about kind of struggling with your identities. It's about, um, you know, coming back home and how that feels after being away for a long time. And how does it feel to stand up for yourself when your ex-husband starts trying to make demands on you that just don't feel good or feel right for your child? Um, This whole series is wonderful. There are three books now, um, and I'm hoping we get more because it's just such, um, it's it's a town that I want to visit. And I really, truly, honestly wish that um, the Denison family was real because they are just such lovely people. So this is Road to Rosebend. Rosebend number one by Naima Simone. And if you haven't read it yet, I just would like to know what you are waiting for because it's everything that is wonderful about contemporary romance. My next book is the first in a series of Jane Austen retellings featuring an Indian American family. So these are the Rajas. And every book in this series is a play on a Jane Austen title. So the first book is Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors. We then have Recipe for Persuasion, Incense and Sensibility, and The Emma Project. 
And this is by Sonali Dev. Um, she has written several other books, um, but these are the ones that kind of got me into her writing and I really enjoy her. Um, first of all, I am not a Jane Austen fan. Um, that makes me like a terrible person, I realize, but I just, I, I can't do it. Um, but I love Jane Austen retellings because I think so many of the things that Austen did in her books are things that we continue to see in romance today. And so I love sort of seeing the, the modernized like feel of, of Jane Austen. So Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors is about Trisha. And Trisha has broken the rules of her very domineering Indian family. Um, she has interfered with her brother's political aspirations. She has way too many dealings with like what her family considers outsiders. And she defies her family on a regular basis. All of these things are bad, bad, bad if you're Trisha. But Trisha is also one of the most well-known neurosurgeons in the San Francisco area. And she just doesn't understand why she can't be good enough for her family. Like why does you know, all the, the good that she does for people, you know, all of the sort of the notoriety that she's brought to her family, like why is this not, not good enough? Why is she sort of the outsider at every turn? Now, her family owns a restaurant and it's, it's floundering in some ways. And you learn more about that as the series goes on. But at the beginning of the book, they hire this man named DJ to be their chef. And DJ has a lot going on. His sister is gravely ill and he's just tired of all the ways in which people in San Francisco look down on him because he doesn't come from like a classy, you know, upbringing. Um, his beginnings are rougher and he just, he feels like that should be okay. Like people shouldn't judge him based on like how he grew up. They should pay attention to the man that he's become and how hard he's worked to, you know, become the person that he is. And so when he first meets Trisha, they have like not a great first encounter. And he's very angry with her because she's like the, you know, in his mind, sort of the entitled daughter of this rich family who owns the restaurant where he works. And he feels like there's no way that he can sort of hold his own against her because this will put his job on the line. Now, what he doesn't realize for a little while is that Trisha is actually the doctor who is, like consulting on his, his sister's case. And so with her kind of lies the last hope of helping his sister um, overcome this, this illness. And so their whole relationship is just really fraught by all of these very complex emotions. You know, Trisha kind of resents the way her family sort of embraces DJ in a way that she feels like they, they never embraced her. And it's, it's kind of a, a rough ride in, in a lot of cases, but in a way that feels very real. 
Like you never feel like dev is creating conflict just for the sake of, you know, making people like have misunderstandings or, you know, increasing like the page count with the conflict. I think everything that she does here has a purpose and a point. Um, Each book in this series is something so incredibly special in a different way. Um, She talks about, again, you know, we, we say this a lot tonight, but she talks about a lot of things that people don't always like to confront. And she does it in a way that works so well with sort of the like lighthearted fun of writing a Jane Austen retelling and kind of turning it on its head. But it does have those deeper undertones, which I really appreciate in my books. So if you're looking for something a little different that will give you like the nods to some of the the classic literature that you may love, um, I, I would highly recommend this. The series is The Rajas and the first book is Pride, Prejudice and Other Flavors. It's by Sonali Dev. And I don't know why I haven't read her books yet. She's on my TBR from like 10 years ago. 12, you should like read... Recipe for Persuasion. It's like the the food book and like the oh, reality TV. <laughs> and there's like enemies to lovers. Like it's it's so it's like a Stacy book. Like the whole it thing. It is a Stacy book. Yes. So my third series tonight is the Lone Star Sisters by Susan Mallory. Now I adore Susan Mallory. I have not read a book. Yes, you do. I heard that I have not absolutely adored yet. I don't know that there's any out there. Maybe there's one. But so far, she has made me her biggest fan. She's got a ton of books. She does have a ton of books. The first book in this series is called Under Her Skin. And this, this whole series is about the Titan family. And the Titan family are, they live in Titanville, which her (laughs) father, you know, practically owns. (laughs) I don't know that he founded it, but somewhere along the line, I believe he had the name of the town changed from what it was before because he pretty much runs the town. He's a big business guy. Um in the town and this is not a big town so the titans these girls have there's three sisters and they've always been raised to one day take over the family business but their father has really made them compete really really hard um because only one of them will inherit the, the whole business. And, but he's made them work for every ounce of it because he does not believe that a woman can, can run a business. Um, well, that, that sucks. It, yeah, he doesn't, like, it's, it's almost like he doesn't, uh, believe that that women should run businesses and that or that they can't 
And so he's pretty much told his girls that, you know, you have to go out and, and do your own thing and prove to me that you are worthy of, of owning this business, of taking it over from me. And so every girl has. And the first book, Under Her Skin, is about Lexi Titan. Now, Lexi has gone out and started her own business. She, is, she has a spa and it is flourishing and it is amazing and it's everything she's ever dreamed of. Um, there's a catch, though, because when she started the business, she didn't exactly have the money to make it everything she wanted. And there was this silent investor that invested $2 million into her business. But there was a note that said that was callable at any time. And she would have 30 days to pay back the full $2 million or they got her business. Well, now that note is being called. And Lexi has no idea where she is going to come up with $2 million. She can't ask her father for it because that no, would not. show him that she's not worthy of taking over the Titan business. I think it's called Titan World. <laughs> her sister, one of her sisters, she could ask for the money, but she doesn't want to. One of her sisters runs a nonprofit and, and she's got the money. But she doesn't want to ask her sister for that. And she doesn't want them to know that she's in trouble because she doesn't know who this investor is. So Cruz Rodriguez comes to her. He, he finds out about this and he comes to her with a proposition. You agree to pretend to be engaged to me for six months. Oh, feet. Dating. And I at the end of six or and, and I'll give you two million dollars so you can pay Whoa. off this investor. And at the end of six months, you we can leave each other, no strings attached, all deals final. And Lexi just doesn't know what to think about this. She's firmly against it. For, for one, she's, she, and it's not because Cruz isn't hot and sexy and very successful. No. It's just that she, she knows that this is not going to go over well with her father. Mostly because Cruz is not what he would consider to be an appropriate husband for her. He's not. He's not the blue blood that he would choose for his daughter to marry. Um, Cruz is a, is a race car guy. Um, and he's very, he's, he's not a driver, but he's very successful at it. And he started his, his career with street racing. Um, I think he's pretty epic, to be honest. I, I love him. 
I would have been like, yeah, I'll, I'll be your fake fiance for however long you want. So, but Lexi just doesn't know what she's going to do. And so she, she finally has to agree to this. What she doesn't count on is actually falling in love with Cruz. Ha. Huh. And so there we have it, folks. This series is amazing. Each story, there's four books, and each, uh, each book tells a little more about the family. You get to know each daughter. The fourth book throws a little bit of a twist because they have a brother they didn't know about. Oh. But all throughout this series, there's someone pulling stunts to upend Titan World. They are trying to either end it or take it away. And they don't know who it is. The girls don't know who it is. So there's there's a little bit of a mystery there on to who's trying to ruin their father. Um, there is a hint of their father being... He does. Um, there's also a hint of their father being involved in illegal activities, um, smuggling and the like. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it's, it's a pretty epic story, but each, each book is definitely there. Each person gets their own romance. Um, and each girl is is definitely fighting to see who's going to get the business, even though, honestly, none of them really care who gets it or if they don't. They just have been raised to constantly prove themselves to their father. And so you see them coming to terms with this as well and whether or not they really want to keep fighting for the business or if they just want to tell their father they're done and so i i adored this series so much i like the intrigue i like the kind of the villain part of it too you know the 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 family uh, head honcho kind of being this ultimate bad guy um it, there's just so much to this series but susan mallory does family really well um these girls are, are very much there for one another when it's most important. Um, they, they have each other's backs no matter what. And that I like so much. The romance is, is no slouch either. So this is The Lone Star Sisters by Susan Mallory. And you must go get it now, now, now. And what's the first one? The first book is Under Her Skin. Perfect. Oh, my final book of the evening, my darlings, is one of my favorites. And it is just lovely and delightful and awkward and uncomfortable and perfect. Yes. (laughs) And I absolutely love the family that this author portrays throughout her trilogy. So this is The Kiss Quotient. The Kiss Quotient Number One by Helen Huang, and if you haven't read this, like what the hell? 
That's all oh. I'm going to say. For reals. Like, this is Kristen. one of the Kristen. Ugh. What? What? She says, but she doesn't <laughs> even know. She doesn't even know. This book is about Stella. And Stella is, oh, I don't know. She's somewhere just a little over 30, probably. And she is an actuary. And basically, her job is to like predict trends. I actually didn't know what an actuary was until I read this book. <laughs> I'm just saying. And it's it's like a mathy job, you know, a mathy sciencey job that, you know, is my brain doesn't work that way, but like she loves spending long, long hours in her office using numbers and using science to predict new trends. And Good Stella, right. And Stella, you know, she comes from a very um, affluent family in Northern California. And I believe both of her parents are doctors. I could be wrong about that, but you know, they, they kind of live in the sort of well-to-do echelons of society. And what her mother wants for her more than anything is for her to find someone to date and then to marry. And so she's tried setting Stella up on these dates before, and it never really goes well for Stella. But Stella has reached a point in her life where she has decided that it's time for her to go after the man that she wants. But because Stella uh, has some difficulty in social interactions and dating, and she finds just the act of sexual intercourse and kissing and all the things that lead up to it, she just finds it repulsive. And she decides that you know, there really isn't going to be a good way for her to like jump into the dating scene with someone she actually wants to date unless she has the ability to practice. So Stella, being the highly organized and intelligent person that she is, decides that what she's going to do is she's going to hire a male escort and he will help her to become more comfortable with touching and dating. And each of the dates that she pays for will focus on different aspects of kind of learning how to build a relationship. Most of it though, will deal with how to be more comfortable with different aspects of touching. Castella is on the autism spectrum and she, you know, she's pissed off some people in her life because she's very direct. She's, um, you know, if something doesn't make sense to her, she's going to say it. Like she basically made some comment about like kissing with tongue being like some sort of horrible fish like she just, um, she just says things as she sees them. And so, but she's decided now that, you know, this is going to be a safe way for her to kind of get past some of the barriers that she has about dating and intimacy. And so she comes up with like lessons for each date and like, you know, um, very specific things that she wants to work on. And she hires a man named Michael to come and help her. And at first Michael's like, what in the actual, because this woman is awkward and uncomfortable, but the more time he spends around Stella, the more he kind of begins to understand her because Michael has a cousin on the autism spectrum. And once she finally, finally, after a lot of awkwardness and misunderstandings kind of lets him know about her diagnosis, he's able to, um, you know, kind of, help her to work on some of the things that cause her so much angst and stress about dating and relationships. Michael is part of a large family. They are, um, 
Vietnamese and his father is Swedish and they live in the San Francisco Bay area. They, um, some of his family owns restaurants. Um, he works at a dry cleaners, um, assisting with dry cleaning and doing some tailoring at this dry cleaner. And his family does not know that he supplements the family income by working as, um, a male escort on the weekends. And this job has begun to really weigh on him. He just feels like so objectified at this point. It's not, you know, what he wants to be doing. So Michael and Stella begin to do some kind of fake slash real dating. And at one point he introduces Stella to his family and oh. that really does not go well. And I think, I almost can't even talk about it. Like, I think to me, that scene of Stella meeting his very boisterous, intense family is one of the most, it's one of the most poignant scenes I've ever read in a book. And just, you know, she basically pisses off the entire family, hurts his mother so badly that she has to run out of the room to cry. And everyone is just staring at her in like horror. Like she is the wicked witch of the West. And Stella leaves just devastated and distraught knowing that she messed up so badly and tries to figure out what can she do to fix all the social gaffes that she inadvertently sort of, you know, visited upon this family in some very horrible ways. Um, This book is lovely. It's about romance. It's about family. It's about belonging. It's about trying to find your place in a society that isn't welcoming to people who are different in any way. It's the first in, um, it's the first book by Helen Huang. Um, And it's also the first in the trilogy, like I said, about three cousins. And it really is truly one of the most wonderful things I've ever read in my life. The first book is um, The Kiss Quotient, followed by The Bride Test, which to me was just as charming. Oh, my God. That book, I just, oh, my heart. And followed up by last. Oh, The Heart Principle. The Heart Principle. Oh. And that, I think, is Shannon's, like, love of the series. I actually, The Heart Principle was... So intense for me. I had to put it down for a while last summer and then pick it back up again. And it was beautiful and lovely, but um, painful as well. And Helen Huang is, we do keep talking about authors tonight who have a way of like sucking you into families and have a way of introducing you to sort of social justice type things that, you know, you may not think about in your daily life. Um, Helen Huang writes about characters who are not typical normal romance characters. And I sort of feel like, I feel like she was one of the first with the kiss quotient to just come right out there with this heroine on the spectrum who was not all like sunshine and roses and flowers. Um, And she made her into this very charming, likable, sort of relatable character that even if you are a person who does not have sort of um, neurodivergent- Uh, you can still relate to this character and the struggles that she has to be accepted, um, you know, as who she is versus who the world expects her to be. Again, this is a lovely series. The first book in the series is The Kiss Quotient and it's by Helen Huang and she is seriously a goddess and deserves all the hype that she's been given for kind of blasting a path for um, people with disabilities in the romance genre. Okay, so everyone, and I do mean everyone, 
can feel perfectly free to laugh at me <laughs> and mock me for what I'm about to say. Because this, I love this next book so, so much, but I really, really wish it could have a different title. Oh, yes. <laughs> because there are just some things that I feel really stupid saying. And <laughs> this is one of those things. Now, having said that, like the book itself is, is amazing in every way. So it's, it's not that I'm ashamed to have read the book. I, I just feel highly, highly ridiculous telling you that I am about to recommend a book called Beauty and the Mustache. Yes, it's, this is one yes, that my darling I can't Shannon. pick up. <laughs> yes, it oh, is no. Knitting in the City, book four. But most importantly for tonight's purposes, the Winston Brothers 0.5. And it's by Penny Reed. Now, I have to ask, why are all these series called like the something something brothers when like in the Bergman books, there are two sisters. And in this series, like there's one sister. That's dumb. Like, I don't know. I know. I know. So this yeah, is Winston Brothers. Family name. Like. Right. Family, so is, not. <laughs> not, not brothers. So yeah, this is Winston sorry. Brothers 0. 0.5. And this is the story of Ashley Winston. Now, Ashley is not a brother. Imagine that. Oh. Um, there are three things that Ashley would like you to know about her. The first one is that she has six, count them, six brothers. And all of them have beards. Secondly, she's a reader, which makes her like a great, you know, a, a great person. favorite of mine. Yes. And thirdly, she knows how to knit, which I do not know how to do and never will. But Correct. Georgina does. Amazingly well. Yes. So Ashley has left the small town in Tennessee where she lived with her six brothers and her like really horrible father. And her mother, who actually has a lot of love for, but she also like, doesn't understand why her mother stays in a relationship that is in, in so many ways, like not, not great. So Ashley leaves town, she heads to the big city and she makes something of herself. She has a really good group of friends. She has a good job. And then she's summoned back home because her mother has died. Well, her mother is technically dying and we see like little glimpses of this as it, as it goes on. Um, and I love like getting to see Ashley's relationship with her mother kind of at the end because it's like it, it helps them process like so much of what has happened over the course of not only Ashley's life, but the lives of her brother, her, of her brothers and the ways in which their experiences have shaped them into, you know, who they are today. Um, Ashley, she's not happy to be back. Like she wants to be there for her mom. She wants to, 
kind of you know put the past to rest so to speak but it's really hard like there's a lot of things that she's that she's struggling with and one of the things she's struggling most with is a man named Drew yes who everyone except Ashley like really really loves like he's this deep thinker he's very philosophical He's kind, he's handsome. And although there are a lot of things about him that she doesn't like, she's also kind of drawn to him, you know, in a way that she can't understand. But one thing that Ashley is sure of is that once she's kind of, you know, done doing what she needs to do back home, she will not be staying, right? She's ready to, you know, head back to the city as soon as she can. But then as she's spending more and more time with her family and with Drew, she starts to kind of remember some of the the small pleasures that she had when she lived in this town. And she starts to once again forge a relationship with the six bearded brothers. And she's realizing that her feelings for Drew are a lot deeper and more complicated than she would like to admit. This is again a book that like you look at what it's about, you look at the at the synopsis, you look at the title and you're just like what? Like <laughs> what is this? And then you read it and you realize that there's so much heart and depth and beauty contained in these pages. And you realize that this family is damaged in a lot of ways. And yet they are all working to come to terms with with their past and their present. And they're doing this in their own ways. And sometimes these ways aren't aren't good, right? Like they're not the most... hmm, like these people don't always make, you know, the, the best decisions. Um, they, they have missteps. And yet that is what makes them real relatable people. So once you read Beauty and the Mustache, you can then go on and read the Winston Brothers series. And all of those titles have beard, uh, like all those books have beard Ugh. in the title. Um, and Penny Reed just does such a great job helping you to fall in love with this town and these people. So this is Beauty and the Mustache, Knitting in the City, book four, Winston Brothers, 0.5 by Penny Reed. So my final book for tonight and series is the Chase Family series by Lauren Royal. She's taking us away from the contemporaries. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> this is a historical, Regency historical romance. And it is the series that opened my world to historical romances. It is only on Kindle, but it is well worth um getting each trilogy there are three trilogies 
in this series with a couple of novellas, which I feel are worth the read, definitely, because they we get to see um, some in-between stuff that we, we don't get to see in the main books. Um, it's alluded to, but we don't actually get to see it play out. And so in these novellas, you see some of that, those illusions played out and they really make it worthwhile. Um, another thing I love about the series is that a lot of actual historical events are put into these books. Um, real people are put into these books, albeit in probably not quite the form that they really were. <laughs> um, I cannot That's remember. Why it's fiction. Yes, but I mean, it's it's she you she definitely uses real historical events to write her books um real places that you can actually go and visit most of them and she described and she has gone to see these places in order to be able to write about them accurate accurately and it it's it's really amazing so this first book is called amethyst and it is the first book in the jewels trilogy and amethyst is her she is a jewel smith she is she is a jewelry maker and it it is what her family has done for generations and she makes beautiful custom pieces and she also you know thinks up her own designs and makes them but her future isn't nearly as bright and beautiful as the jewelry she makes because due to custom, she is to marry her father's apprentice in just a few days. And she does not love this man. She's not really thrilled with this idea, but it's what she's supposed to do. And so she'll do it. But the great fire of 1666 roars through her town and throws all those plans to the wayside and throws her into the arms of Colin Chase. And he is a nobleman. He is the Earl of Greystone. And he is in the process of restoring his, uh, his estate to its former glory. And he's got his future all planned out. But the key to getting his estate restored is his marriage to his rich bride. But the fire puts a damper on these plans and saddles him with a lowly shopkeeper's daughter. That oh, yeah quickly falling in love with and he doesn't know what to do with this now this (laughs) all of these stories are beautiful love stories I will say that they are a bit amorous for the times but very worth the read if you 
are not big on the sexy times. Um, there, she does have what she calls sweetheart versions of her books that you can also get on Kindle. Oh, they yeah. are under different names, um, slightly different names, and have different covers than her original versions. Um, Bring on the sexy times. I, I agree, and <laughs> and she does them. She does them really well for the time. Like they're not super duper explicit but they don't really leave too much to the imagination either like it's you know what's going on um (laughs) so good definitely not closed door with these with these original versions um so this first trilogy is the jewels trilogy the second trilogy is the flowers trilogy and the third one is called the Temptations Trilogy. Ooh. And each one of these trilogies follows a different generation of the Chase family. I love that. Um, I, I, it's amazing. I, I really loved this. And I've actually reread this first trilogy. So I guess I can't say I don't usually reread books. But I, I have yeah. reread this first trilogy. Um. And I definitely have my favorites out of all of them. But the Chase family um, is mostly boys. And, well, no, not all of them. That's not true. There are a lot of boys. And they're the big, biggest pranksters. Um, but th- this is a very loving family that spans generations. They're fun-loving there, there are some broody ones. There's some ones you just wouldn't expect. Um, several of these take place in places other than England. Um, I believe oh, there's very one cool. that, that is in Scotland. There's one in Ireland. Um, but I believe that the Chase family is is firmly rooted in England. And it's the women that come from other places, mostly. Um, that makes sense, because I like the titles. and. So I, I love that historical events definitely play into these books. Real things that have happened. Real places that do exist or have existed. The, the king of this time, which I am getting which one because I am not a history buff is in this first trilogy and I'm forgetting who comes in the next ones anyway um just she's very accurate with her historical facts and places and I believe there's something at the end of each book that talks about the places that are mentioned in these books and and that describe them very well and says whether you are able to take tours of these places if you were to go to these countries. Um, So this is the Chase family series beginning with the Jewel trilogy, first book being Amethyst by Lauren Royal and they are all on Kindle. So that concludes our discussion of series featuring families in romance. Thank you to Stacy and Kristen for participating tonight with so many great books. Um, 
many, many contemporaries and one historical, just, just to add a little variety. Thanks as always goes out to Christine for all of her fantastic editing of our many, many tangents that like people who don't actually record the podcast um, don't, don't know that we have, but we do. <laughs> and as always, I thank each and every one of you for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.